The Granzadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Hello and welcome. My name is Rick Gibson. I'm the Associate Vice President for Public Affairs here at Pepperdine University. And I'm joined today by Dr. Linda Livingstone, who's the Dean of the Grazadio School of Business and Management. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. It's good to be here today, Rick. Well, we're here again for our second podcast in the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. And uh, Linda, I think this program has been a great success. Tell us about uh, the the series and uh, some of those who have been uh, participants. We started this series three years ago to bring in some of the foremost thinkers in business, whether they're business executives, authors, or just prominent uh, thinkers in business. We've had speakers such as Ann Sweeney, who's the president of Disney, ABC Television. We had Ted Waite, the CEO and founder of Gateway Computers. And then this year, we started the series with Patty Sellers, who's an editor-at-large at Fortune Magazine. So it's just been a really diverse set of individuals over the last three years and very successful. Yeah, a very impressive lineup. But tell me, how have the students responded to all this? We've had great response from our students and alumni. They have really appreciated hearing from such prominent business people. And then the the speakers have really been impressed with the quality of our students and alumni, as well as the kinds of questions they get when they come to the series. Well, the latest uh, visitor we had on the Dean's Executive Leadership Series was Brian Franz. Tell me about Brian and, uh, and his visit to Pepperdine. Brian is the president of Daytime Disney ABC Television Group, which means that he's responsible for all of ABC Daytime, including all of their soap operas. And then he's also responsible for SoapNet, which is where they rebroadcast soap operas, as well as Buena Vista Productions. So uh, oversees a very interesting part of ABC Disney Television. Well, very good. And so we invite our listeners to sit back and relax and enjoy the conversation between Linda Livingstone and Brian Franz, president of Daytime Disney ABC Television Group. Well, Brian, it is a pleasure to have you here with us, and I appreciate you taking the time to meet with us and answer some questions and and sort of talk to our alumni and friends about what you're doing at ABC Daytime. It's my pleasure. It was difficult to give up the uh, day in Burbank for a day in Malibu, but here I am. <laughs> well, we're glad to offer that any time that we can. Uh, I have to be honest up front before we sort of get into the Q&A that I am probably the least qualified person to ask questions and talk to someone about daytime TV because it's not something I watch regularly, um, but I'm looking forward to learning more about it today and as you're a speaker tonight in our Dean's Executive Leadership Series. Uh, what I wanted to start with was sort of kind of a big picture view of what you're doing the position that you currently serve in as president of Daytime Disney ABC Television was created in May of 2006 um, to merge the Disney Daytime and the ABC Daytime TV, is my understanding, sort of as a strategic move there. Talk a little bit about uh, the philosophy behind that and how that's worked out uh, in terms of what you've done there in kind of your first eight months or so on the job. Okay. The... Um People tend to think about network television in very historical terms. So they think about, you know, a network running a certain number of shows and um, taking in the ad revenue. And what Ann Sweeney did was start to think about daytime in a different way. And we look at it as production and we look at it as distribution. So SoapNet was making its own shows. SoapNet is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week cable channel devoted to soap operas and, the, and their fans. ABC Daytime um, uh, makes 1,000 hours of television a year. That's The View and the three soap operas. 
And Buena Vista Productions is the programming arm of the domestic distribution company, and they make shows like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, um, Regis and Kelly, and um, uh, Ebert and Roper. So instead of looking um, at this in a traditional way, the thought was to say, okay, if we could look at all the distribution pipes equally um, and all the production arms equally, what synergies can we find? Um, in addition, of course, the marketing opportunities. So we are in a situation now where we have people who make TV shows for ABC Daytime starting to develop shows for SoapNet. Buena Vista Productions is now developing shows for SoapNet. Um, when we um, do advertising campaigns now, um, it no longer uh, has a tag of on ABC. It now says daytime on ABC, nighttime's on SoapNet. So we start to offer the same experience but on two different platforms. Um, and we start to think about things in a broader perspective. And have you seen that have adding value already in the short time that you've been doing that? What sort of outcomes have you seen from that um, just with the work that you've done so far? Well, so far we've certainly been able to drive ratings on both platforms. Um, by combining the marketing power, obviously getting a much bigger reach. And so at the moment we're over-delivering our budgeted ratings both on the network and on SoapNet. And we still have money to spare, which is a terrific you know, place Over-delivering and money to spare, you can't argue with that. You, no, you really can't. <laughs> but you hate to you bring both phrases up because then somebody will take your Money. But, <laughs> but um, that's a, a, a great example of, of where we are. And I also have a background in um, both programming and helping set up ca uh, cable and broadcast channels in Europe. And so I've also been able to help them a little bit in um, how we schedule the channel and program the channel and, and indeed what we're developing so that when we look now for original programming for SoapNet, it's no longer just shows that sort of um, super serve the soap audience. So in other words, uh, a talk show about soaps, um, a biography show about soap opera stars. And the next shows you'll see are actually reality soaps, shows that don't require you to have a previous soap knowledge, um, or they will be original dramas, the first original dramas that have been made for SoapNet. So those are pretty big picture changes um, for the way um, SoapNet's been operating because it means um, you know fewer original hours of programming, but at much, much higher budgets, um, a much more extended um, marketing reach and a much bigger publicity reach because now when we travel our stars around the country, they no longer just appear on behalf of ABC, um, but also for SoapNet. ABC has benefited, um, A, because they also get the added marketing value, but we've also made some programs now for SoapNet specials that have appeared on ABC. Uh, just recently, um, we decided to produce um, a Christmas album with ABC soap stars that happen to be Broadway performers. Um, SoapNet made a special um, taking fans behind the scenes of the making of the album, and we ran it um, sort of in a re-promoted way um, as spending Christmas Day with the soap stars, and we ran it on the 25th of December. And what that did was allow both platforms um, and Hollywood Records, the Disney record, to sell a lot of Christmas albums. So those are the kinds of, you know, early stage, you know, things that we're seeing. Great. Sounds like some interesting things going on. You were talking about sort of internal changes, but there's also a lot of changes going on sort of externally that are certainly influencing what's going on with sort of the various entertainment outlets, and particularly television with TiVo and DVR and YouTube and, and so on. How are these um, kinds of changes in the way people are viewing uh, television affecting what you're doing at ABC Daytime? How are you managing those kinds of uh, changes in the marketplace? Well, 
in in an odd way, we're one of the more historic program forms. You know, when you talk about talk shows and, and soap operas, and strangely enough, we're weathering it maybe better than some of the other day parts. Um, probably the best example is what's happened at my house, where I was recording the soaps that I felt were important for me to see, both my shows and a couple of the competitors. And I have been thrown out of what we call the media room at our house, which is where the big plasma TV and the and the heavy duty TiVo is, um, because my son felt I was taking up too much space, and not only was I taking up too much space on the hard drive, but indeed I was conflicting with his viewing time. Um, and in my house, the child actually controls the house uh, via my wife, and so I acquiesced. And, that is um, probably not that unusual, uh, no, uh, Brian. No, we, we, we don't think so. <laughs> um, uh, we think we're pretty typical these days. And um, and so in a funny way, um, SoapNet, in providing a um, you know sort of a community experience and viewing, has actually held up reasonably well in a, in a TiVo environment. And if you think about a channel that's primarily rebroadcasting, um, you know, soaps that have aired in other time periods, you think that would be the most vulnerable um, uh, channel out there. And, and, and in fact, it doesn't seem to be the case at all. So that's sort of one um, uh, one sort of good piece of news. Um, what we actually do, I think, in terms of reaching out to our um, viewers is probably unique within television and certainly within the daytime community because we um, have a program at Disney where we send executives around to different parts of the company and I went through that in my first year and I was amazed by um, the um, sort of customer management um, techniques of the parks, of the Disney theme parks. And I thought, well, this is amazing that they know so much about them and they care so much about them. And we started to take some of those ideas and convert them for television. Um, so when I came, uh, there was a woman named Vanessa Marcel who at that time was returning to General Hospital. She's now one of the stars of the primetime show Las Vegas. And they wanted to send, they had made a very nice print ad in the marketing department. I said, okay, well, who can we email this to? Don't, you know, what kind of database do we have? And we had literally no database. And today, over a million women get an email from us every Friday about what's going to be on their soap operas on Monday. Um, and obviously, that's a tremendously powerful, you know, piece of, of software and data because we can tell them about the shows. We can sell them merchandise. We can encourage them to go to the Disney theme park every November for Super Soap Weekend. Um, and we have actually set attendance records each of the last three years at a time when everybody in network television is going, oh, woe is me, where's my audience? We're actually having very, you know, passionate people, you know, travel around the country. In exchange for that, I thought it was important we start a program where we now travel our stars to their hometowns. We were able to take non-program time, get it sponsored, follow our stars to about 10 cities a year, and turn non-program time into commercial time, but more importantly say, we value you so much, we will come to your town to tell you and show you. Making a more personal connection with the audience. Exactly. And now what's going to happen is they're going to stay, start to stay over an extra day and do a day's worth of promotion for Subnet in conjunction with DirecTV or DISH or the local cable, cable outlet. You mentioned in that the, the linkage with the theme parks and, and finding some connections there. And one of the things we've read about in recent days is the revamping of Disney.com and how important that is in the broader strategy of Disney. Does that website link at all to what you're doing? How do you connect what you're doing in daytime television with sort of the Internet presence of Disney in a way that's useful to both of those? 
To be honest, I haven't spent that much time. Bob just sort of, you know, rolled out the the Disney.com thing. And, you know, from what I saw of it at the presentation in Ford at the management meeting, you know, you still find your space um, of what you're looking for in our case, ABC.com, the daytime part of it, or SoapNet. And we also have something called SoapNetic, which is a broadband service. Um, one other structural change I've made is that I've now put those three units under one person. Um, for the creative vision and one person uh, as a partner to that person as the business head, if, if you will, the MBA that's going to you know make it profitable, not just a nice place to dump money because we want to be digital. Um, and what they've come back with is a nice strategy that interlinks um, the three properties, the two um, uh, sort of broadcast-related properties, if you will, and also the broadband product, which is primarily something you would get um, you know, on your mobile phone or um, through your cable operator, and that's up to around 13 million homes in, in less than a year, which we think is pretty pretty good, especially since we'll be making money, which is something nobody's used to. Um, and what we're trying to do is find this, the all the different things the audience really wants on those digital sites. So the basics, you know, what happened on today's episode, what happened in the past, you know, why do these two people hate each other? Why are they in love with each other? Where's the family tree so I can understand why that woman with a different face is who's now playing Carly, who's she related to again? Because I thought it used to be somebody else. And who the heck is she? Um, as well as now um, capturing um, uh, some of the heat behind the view, you can now go to the website and watch the greatest moments of that day's view. Which I actually was doing that yesterday because I thought I should educate myself a little bit about this. So I was actually watching some of those clips, which was really quite fascinating oh, to, to see some of those. Um, so we're trying to make it immersive. Um, we're trying to make it a useful place. We also want to build up the community. Soap opera and daytime viewing is something you know people are used to doing together. And one of the interesting things um, that came out of the theme park experience is talking to women at the park and telling and them telling us that not only do they want to see the stars and get autographs, they wanted to talk to someone else that was in the club that appreciated the history that they had of the show and of the stars and of the characters and, you know, just sort of bond over what was, you know, in your home and intimate experience, but in truth, a very large communal experience. It's really a way to embed social networking in multiple ways through the experience that they have, whether it's online or in those personal connections that you give them as well. Oh, absolutely, because that is at the core of soap opera transference. You know, if you ask a woman, how did you start watching? Invariably, it's my mom, my sister, my babysitter, my friend, um, my older sister. And so um, in a funny way, what we've done is taken what's always been traditionally a face-to-face -face community and made it a digital community. As you, you talk about that transference from generation to generation to some extent, have you seen any changes as this sort of Generation Y, the millennial generation, sort of on the lower end of your primary demographic, women 18 to 49? Are you seeing different things that they're looking for in daytime programming, and how are you adapting to that while not while not losing mm -hmm. that sort of core that you've had for so long? Yeah, that's, that's sort of um, the topic we discuss the most um, all the time. And um, it really revolves um, around several different ways, um, I suppose. The first was to really do some serious research about that generation and understand 
um, some of the differences. Um, as a boomer, um, I couldn't wait to get out of the house on the weekends. I said goodbye on Saturday morning. I came back in time for dinner, um, unless I was going to stand at a friend's house if he was going to have a better dinner. Um, you know, and you would actually negotiate with your mother to see whether right. or not you wanted to stay around. I cannot get my son out of the house. He 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 regards us as his friends. Um, he he likes the fact that we have you know the big screen and the computer and the th Xbox 360 and so on. His friends like to come to our house, um, and. Um, what we found, um, and that that translated into kinds of stories kids wanted to see. So in General Hospital 25 years ago, they wanted to see, you know, the 19-year-old and the 23-year-old on the run. And today they want to see stories about, you know, the father who never really wanted to be a father bond with his teenage daughter. They want to see the intergenerational stories and they want to relate to the families um, in, a, in a totality. And... The great thing for us is that if you're an older viewer, you want to hear that your kids like you and that your friends' kids mm -hmm. on TV like them. And so a lot of it gets wrapped up that way. And so what you start to see then is a lot of characters on our shows being very much like their parent, the character that our older viewers always loved, or they choose to be the opposite of who their parents are. You know, I'm overgeneralizing, but in truth, that's a lot of what we do. But what that allows is the older audience to very quickly get an idea of who they are because they certainly know if you're, you know, Susan Lucci, Erica Kane's daughter, you know what that means. Right. You know, you are the exactly. daughter of the diva. I got it. <laughs> and you're either Kendall, who's just like her, or Bianca, uh, who is really the magnified good that's somewhere in Erica that is really found by anyone other than her late mother, Mona. Um, so um, that's a lot of it, and, and the other part of it, I suppose, is um, that we brought um, some younger people onto the writing staffs, the producing staffs, my network, you know, supervisory staff, and we communicate our advertising in a different way. So you'll see us more online or on an MTV than you would have, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. Hey, interesting that what you're finding to, to attract that audience in terms of stories is really resonating with the older audience as well, which is, of course – the ideal setting to have where it's working for both some demographics. Days, some days it does. <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about sort of strategy and the big picture, uh, but I'm sure, and I'm sure you've talked a lot about this recently. We were talking about this earlier, but I, let's talk about what people are really wanting to know. So what's going on with Rosie and Donald and how does that <laughs> affect what you do in your job? <laughs> um, well, I, I can't believe I have anything to add to that, but, um, you know, I think simply, um, you know, we hired Rosie um, you know, um, because Rosie is someone with great opinions. She's a tremendous intellect. Um, and the size of her heart is actually matched by her intellect. She's a very compassionate person. She was doing a lot of, um, uh, philanthropic work that I was unaware of. Um, she has two foundations. She's building a school for underprivileged kids in New York to assume leadership positions in the city, to have a chance to be on Broadway in the city, um, and um, has done a tremendous amount of um, good as well down in Baton Rouge with Katrina survivors, where she's actually set up a little town. Um, so here's somebody that has this enormous reservoir of good in her, but at the same time, if you are victimizing women or you are not good to your child, you know, or you are a gay basher, she will look you in the eye and come at you like a middle linebacker. Um, and what happened a couple of weeks ago was that she looked at, you know, Donald Trump and what was going on with, you know, his judgment of Miss USA and came out on air and, you know, this is not 
you know, private news, um, and said, listen, uh, this is a man who, you know, cheated on his first wife, cheated on his second wife, and doesn't seem to be that, you know, maybe immoral guy. So why is he sitting as a moral compass for a 20-year-old young woman who may have some kind of problem? Reasonable point of view, mm-hmm. maybe, if you're not Donald, if you're Rosie, sure. Um, and that escalated to her sharing some things she had read on a wiki, which involved um, financial things, um, one or two of which were, um, you know, not totally defined in terms of, you know, personal bankruptcy versus company bankruptcy. Um, we clarified that on the air. But, um, you know, Donald is a guy who's got a show that's melting away. And, um, you know, uh, Apprentice uh, premiered, um, you know, just a couple of days ago with the lowest rated premiere, you know, of the four seasons so far. And he's a man looking for ratings. And um, he's uh, chasing pretty hard. And he's, you know, today as I sit here, he's, you know, talking to E.T. and Insider and whatever and waving around a letter that he's sort of published uh, to the free world but addressed to Rosie that, you know, Barbara doesn't like her, betrayed her, doesn't want her, whatever. It's your own built-in soap opera within uh, The View. (laughs) Indeed. Um, Far more than I would like, but yes. Um, And um, I suppose the great news for us is that out of it, I think Barbara and Rosie's commitment to each other is actually stronger than I think, you know, anybody that tunes in tomorrow, which, you know, uh, which is actually – be the 10th of January for those who are, you know, um, listening to this later and suddenly running to their TV, which is fine by me. You can run to the TV whenever you want. Um, you know, they will have an answer for him on air um, because we sort of feel that um, The View is the show we would like to see higher ratings on. And indeed, last week, the week, you know, when the feud broke, um, we actually had the highest ratings um, in the history of the show, which is a 10-year-old show. This is not something that happens very normally, you know. And uh, so we're very happy and, you know, it seems like we're getting a lot more out of it than, than he is. But, you know, still watching, you know, somebody flail away is not, not always the most pleasant thing. So hopefully it'll, you know, find the end soon. Play its way out over time. Well, I was going to sort of ask how those kinds of situations sort of impact you. And it sounds like in this situation from a viewer perspective and everything has actually enhanced your ratings and issues. I mean, there's sort of the saying that any publicity is good publicity. I don't know if you feel that way or not in terms of these kinds of situations with your various shows that you have on. Um, I, I sort of feel that, you know, any publicity is good publicity for a little while. Um, you know, I don't know that I want people to feel that there's going to be tremendous anxiety um, on the show every day, um, or a lot of bickering on the show every day, uh, you know, against somebody who's not sitting there, um, or um, God forbid that you know Donald would have been able to actually stir something up between the two of them, which he has not. Um, and and I think you know the audience will be done with it shortly because I think you know another week of bad ratings for him, where you know next week he'll be head to head with you know Desperate Housewives. You know, I I just think people are going to sit and say, okay, we know what this is about, and people are already saying it. I mean, I was sitting in a you know, a local market and, you know, the local newscaster had heard the latest thing and he's, oh, I guess the, the uh, Apprentice is premiering soon. I mean, you know, people know. They're not, Americans are very savvy. And so I think, you know, time's running out. You know, a lot of what goes on in daytime, especially with the soaps, is these sort of serials that some of them have lasted 40 years. Mm-hmm. How do you, over time, sort of keep those storylines fresh and not sort of repeat the same old thing. How do you do that, especially with multiple of those mm-hmm. going on at any given time? I mean, there's probably quite an art to that. Um, it's it's uh, uh, far more math than art, I'm afraid. Um, you know, it, it's really the hardest thing um, because, um, you know, these shows um, really were not 
originally invented to last 70 years. You know, back in the day on radio in the early days of television, these things went on, they went off, they went on, they went off. And yes, there were a few that were long running, but, you know, they tended to reflect whatever was going on in the day. General Hospital went on because of the doctor shows, you know, Ben Casey, Dr. Kildare, somebody said, let's do a daytime soap in a hospital. You know, and then here we are all these years later, you know, after, you know, saving the world from freezing and God knows what. Um, where are we? Well, we're back with hospital shows being hot and, you know, good for us, you know, and GH has terrific ratings. And I'm sure, though, that, you know, the things that are resonating on, on Grays resonate there. And it's an inspiration to us to reach a little higher out of, out of the cliché. And the weird thing about a cliché, which we never really discussed, but Agnes Nixon said it to me one day, so I, I think that makes it worth repeating since she invented, you know, two of our best shows. Uh, she said, Brian, you have to remember, it's a cliché because the first 40 times we did it, it worked. Um, which I thought was just perfect. Um, and so um, the best thing I say, I, I think that I've ever heard and I, I repeat, is that um, if you can come up with a story that's reflective of what's happening now in the society that you could not do 10 years ago, then you have a much better chance of it being fresh. So in General Hospital, we have a young woman who is trying to be a doctor despite being HIV positive. Well, that's not a story they would have done in 1975 you know, or maybe 1985. So, you know, how is that, you know, young woman who grew up on the show, you know, living with it, you know, shaping a life and whatever. And that, that has a lot of, you know, poignancy for, um, you know, the viewers. And um, the other technique I would say is ripping things from the headlines. You know, um, when the New Jersey governor uh, revealed that he was both married and gay, um, you know, we ripped that story off. We did it on One Life. It took them to number one for the first time in a zillion years. Um, and, um, you know, it was terrific TV. Um, and that's probably the best way uh, to find stories in real people in real situations rather than, you know, another evil twin, another person back from the dead, another question of whose baby really is it. I don't think for the most part those things are going to, you know, get us any new viewers especially at the young end. You know, as we sort of wrap up our time together, and it's been really wonderful, it's been interesting for me, two, two questions to kind of conclude our discussion. You know, what are the things that keep you up at night? First question. And the second question is, what are the things that get you out of bed in the morning and get you excited about going to work each day? Um, I would say the thing that, um, you know, worries me most um, is the thing that I can't figure out. Um, you know, I, I, I was very lucky because I spent time in Europe working for an entrepreneur. So if I could figure out where I wanted to go or what we wanted to do, um, he really taught me that you don't worry about all those, you know, hills and people and problems and valleys and, you know, people throwing rocks at you or whatever in the way. Just, you know, you, you, you'll figure it out. You have confidence in that. My concern is always when I don't see the next hill, you know, and then once I sort of break through that, um, then I don't worry about it anymore. You know, it was, uh, you know, what kind of original show should we do with SoapNet? Okay, that kept me up for a few nights until, you know, sort of the obvious hit me. Well, why don't we expand what the definition is of what a soap is and that leads you to a reality soap? And then how financially do we figure out a way to do original drama, you know, at a good price, at a reality price? And we figure that out by, you know, using some of the stages and people that, you know, are already with ABC Daytime or maybe even doing something in Canada. And so suddenly that was open, then it's, then, you know, I'm not going to, you know, worry at night of what the show's going to be because they'll come. They always come. They always do. That's, you know, the marketplace. Um, the things that um, excite me um, in the morning are really new ideas. The The days I'm going to sit down with the staff or sit, you know, get up and, um, you know, have a meeting with a writer to, you know, to have them tell me something they're excited to put on television 
or if, you know, I have an idea, you know, which happens, um, uh, you know, that's exciting because anytime you can take something um, from a blank piece of paper or from a blank desk, you know, and then see it on TV three or four weeks later, how cool is that? And they pay you. You know, can't beat that, can't can beat you? That. So, um, you know, that, those are the, you know, those are the things that really get me excited. That and a New York Yankees baseball game. Those well, there right you go. There. Well, it has been a pleasure talking with you, Brian, and we really appreciate you taking the time to be here, not only to uh, be interviewed for our podcast, but also to speak at our Dean's Executive Leadership Series. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. That concludes our interview with Brian Franz. Uh, Linda, fascinating discussion. Um, tell me, who is, uh, who's in the lineup next? Our next guest coming up on Tuesday, March 13th, is Dennis Tito, the CEO of Wilshire Associates Incorporated. He's really credited with developing the field of quantitative analytics to analyze market risk. So that should be fascinating. And in addition to that, he was the first individual to pay to travel in space. So quite a diverse discussion we will have. And then in April, we're featuring Bill George, the former CEO of Medtronics. So several wonderful speakers coming up. We hope people will join us for those. Well, we look forward to the rest of the series. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Rick. One thing I've learned is you can either let things happen or make things happen. That's why I'm running my own full-time business and earning my MBA from Pepperdine University. Because an MBA from a top-ranking school like Pepperdine only adds to my credibility as well as my capabilities. I've also made all these great business contacts through Pepperdine University's extensive student and alumni network. Now, my company and I aren't just surviving, we're thriving. Are you ready to really make things happen and join an alumni network of over 30,000 professionals? Then call 1-800-933-3333 for more information about either our morning or evening MBA programs for working professionals. That's 1-800-933-3333. Pepperdine University's prestigious Grazio Dio School of Business and Management where the real world of business is mastered.